Well, as, always, as we've already mentioned, we want to welcome you and say uh, it is a pleasure and a privilege to worship Jesus together this morning. If you're a guest, my name is Zach, and if I had the privilege to meet you, I would love to meet you at some point this morning. Come say hi out here by the main doors at the end of our service. If you have a Bible with you, find Luke chapter 5. We are in week three of our Bring series. In this series, for those of you who have missed for a long period of time, maybe this is your first Sunday with us, this is the third installment of our core mission as a church, to obey Christ by following his command to take the gospel to people who are far from God. In week one, we were reminded that God brought us the best gift, the greatest gift ever given to us, the greatest gift that was ever given to this world was the person of Jesus Christ. Last week, Pastor Michael pointed out that Jesus had to bring himself and his desires to God to bring glory to God so he could bring people to God. And that's what this is, here's what this means, that we need to bring ourselves and we need to bring our desires to God to bring glory to him so that we can bring people to him. For several months now, we have, we've been talking about this mission that Jesus modeled for us. So we're not talking about anything that's unique to West Hill or any other church in our community proclaiming church. We are, we are on a mission that Jesus Christ himself modeled for us and didn't just model for us, but commanded us to be about. We are commanded to be proclaimers of the gospel to a world, to a people who are far from God. And there's three parts to this vision of build, share, and bring. Build the relationship, share the story, and bring the people. So this morning, as we begin our conversation about this idea of, of uh, continuing this conversation on bringing people, where are you on this journey? Are you still building a relationship with someone, or have you yet to start building a relationship with someone who is far from God? Or maybe sharing how you came to know Jesus as your Savior is where you are in this journey of build, share, bring. So who have you shared your story with? And have you invited anyone who is far from God to come and see? Which is the language that we see in our New Testaments. What has been your experience with sharing the gospel, sharing the hope that you have because of Jesus? How often are you doing this or looking for opportunities to do this? And if I went down each chair row by row this morning, most of us would have a list of reasons why we haven't been doing this. We have our reasons why we're not building relationships and sharing our story, the story of the gospel, and then bringing others to come and see. And it's true, there can be so many obstacles to building, sharing, and bringing. We know this. Some of them we can control, and some of them we can't control. We have jobs, we have schedules, sometimes we have spouses and children. 
We have aging parents, we have hobbies, we have health struggles to juggle, and, and those are just a few of the things. And then we have, we have emotional struggles, a lack of confidence, fear of being a hypocrite, uh, fear of ridicule could be on this list, fear of being asked a question that we don't always have all of the answers for. So many things can get in the way of our faith or of us sharing that faith with a world, with a people who are far from God. We see all over the New Testament where people are bringing people to Jesus, either physically bringing them in the Gospels or through proclaiming and sharing their faith as we see in the book of Acts and throughout the church epistles and the pastoral epistles and the prison epistles. They're proclaiming their faith in Jesus. And those instances that we read about they were often met with a series of obstacles, sometimes physical and sometimes emotional. And one of the most well-known stories of bringing someone to Jesus is found here in Luke chapter 5. And so we're going to begin reading together at verse 17. Here's what Luke says. On one of those days, as he was teaching... Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. So this man, starting off, he had, he had a major obstacle between him and Jesus. He was paralyzed. He did not have the ability to walk. And we don't know if this was congenital or due to an accident. We don't know how long he'd been in this situation. All we know is that he can't get around. He can't walk. He cannot take himself from point A to point B. He needed assistance. Now, this is a big barrier for people in our culture today, let alone in this time in history. This, I mean, I can only imagine what it must have been like for this gentleman. These people, though, it's worse because it's not necessarily the same in our culture as it was back then because these people were regarded as worthless and totally uh, just, they, they, they had no purpose in this life. And they were totally dependent on others for help. They couldn't work they added no value to society, according to their definition. And most of the time, they were dirty and they were smelly. Life was not looking good for this guy. And when we compare this account in Luke and with other reports in the Synoptic Gospels, and that's just Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the Synoptic Gospels because they are comparative to each other, but Luke doesn't say where this event took place. But Mark tells us that it was in Capernaum. And Matthew gives us even more details by saying that this was in Jesus' very own town. So what we know is Jesus has spent a lot of time here. And he's been performing miracles since his ministry began, many of which occurred in this very village of Capernaum. And this is in northern Israel, if you didn't know. And word about Jesus was traveling really fast at this time. He was pretty popular People were coming from all around to see his miracles or just experience others 
receiving these miracles. And interestingly enough, in all three gospel accounts, this is where Matthew is called to follow Jesus. Now, we've read these accounts in the New Testament for years, but how many of you have ever taken the time to think about some of the details? I love to do this. Like, like I hope in heaven one day we'll have the opportunity to ask all the questions of the things that we wish the writers of the Bible would have told us about. You know, like the blanks being filled in. I wonder, like, how, how did the paralyzed man hear about Jesus? I would love to know how he heard of Jesus. What made him decide that trying to get to Jesus would be worth it? I mean, did he know someone who had already been healed? That's possible. Was Matthew there watching all of this happen? Like, was he sitting in the corner, you know, the introvert? And he's like, I'm just watching. I'm just taking notes. I want to know what's going on. But how did the man then convince his friends to bring him to Jesus? Because Mark 4 tells us, or Mark tells us that it took all four of them to carry him on a stretcher. However it happened, these men set out to bring their friend to Jesus. But it wasn't going to be easy. Not only did the paralyzed man have a major obstacle, those who were carrying him had obstacles. You see, there were so many people who'd come to see Jesus that there wasn't even standing room in the house where he was teaching. And Mark's account says, not even in the doorway. That's a pretty cool detail. They couldn't get their friend in. Verse 19 says, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. I mean, these guys won't be stopped. They cannot be stopped. I wonder which guy, like, you know, there's always the bad friend. I wonder which friend was like, hey, let's just tear a hole in this house roof here and let's lower our friend through the hole. Like, I wonder if there was like the, 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 the planner in, in the group and he's like, bro, that's a bad idea. Like, we're gonna have to fix this thing. I don't know. Maybe they knew the homeowners. Maybe they had the money to take care of the damage that they were causing. Were they ripping that roof apart, thinking in their head, man, this is going to be bad. I hope Jesus comes through. I mean, were these the questions that they were asking? I mean, that's what I'd have been doing, and these dudes were humans, so I guess they were probably thinking some weird things. I really wish we knew. But Jesus notices, and he sees their efforts, and he does what only he can do in verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. What a cool moment. Not just for the paralyzed man, because yeah, he had some significant issues, but those four who were carrying him, I mean, I bet their minds were completely blown away. They just got to see something extraordinary take place. And, but what happens next in verse 21 shows that Jesus even had obstacles in his earthly ministry. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on, 
and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Listen, no obstacle was or is any match for Jesus. He healed the paralyzed man and he met his spiritual need as well. But it was those who let the man down through the roof who did the bringing. And this is important to remember. When you take the time to reflect back on your salvation story, what obstacles did you overcome on your way to Jesus? Think about that for just a moment. What obstacles did you have to overcome on your way to Jesus Christ? Was it your past? Did you have some trust issues? Maybe you just had this fear of trusting in this God we can't see and this book that, that we've been told isn't accurate or maybe it was anger about something that you'd experienced in this life. What obstacle did you overcome? Where would you be without Jesus? You see, what if the paralyzed man didn't have any bringers in his life? He'd probably still be paralyzed. The story wouldn't have changed. You see, believers have to be bringers. Whether you're a baby boomer, Gen X, millennial, Gen Z, and whatever the other one is, I think there's another one that's coming out, I think. No matter where you are, no matter your age, we all have a calling to go into the entire world and preach the gospel, each at our own level and ability. Now, I'm always encouraged. I love it when I hear stories about people who are sharing their faith because you're actually acting out what Jesus has called us to do. You're an actual mature Christian if you're doing those things. And I'm always encouraged when, par when parents tell me about gospel conversations that their children are having in their elementary schools. I hear about these all the time. And I think, wow, to have that childlike faith once again. To be so bold, to love Jesus so much that I'm not going to stop talking about him. That's how those kids feel. You see, no one is too young to care about their friend and want them to spend eternity in heaven. Believers have to be bringers. But if we're going to have an impact in this world, in the world around us, and if we're going to be intentional about seeking out opportunities to do so, we're going to have to identify and then we're going to have to remove the obstacles that keep us from bringing others to Jesus. So, what are the obstacles that stand in the way of you bringing others to Jesus? You see, being a pastor, I have a lot of conversations with believers about this topic, and, and there are some real obstacles that people have to, they have to manage, they have to navigate. Now, we're not going to give you an exhaustive list this morning. These are just a few of the things that come up most often. When it comes to your lack of motivation or follow-through when it comes to evangelism, maybe it's a relational issue with Jesus. Do you have an intimacy issue with God? Have you neglected your relationship with him? Are you neglecting that time spent in his word and in prayer? And has your heart even in some ways grown maybe just a little bit apathetic? 
to the things that God would want us to be about. Maybe you're trying to do things without the Spirit working inside of you. So remedy that by recommitting to spiritual habits. And ask God to change your heart, igniting and reigniting a burden for people who are far from God. Maybe your excuse or your reason for not sharing the hope that you have is you simply think that it's just not your responsibility. That this responsibility belongs to to someone else. Maybe that's your perspective. It is far too easy for you to simply dismiss this calling and this command of Christ, relying on other believers to do the work and clinging too tightly to your list of excuses. Let's fix that by reading the New Testament and communicating with others who are are seeing this need for, for people to know and hear. Maybe... Maybe you're spending too much time around Christians and attending too many Bible studies. And maybe because of that, you're neglecting the needs of the lost world that is around you. I want to prayerfully encourage you to rearrange your schedule and commit to making more time for intentional gospel efforts. Within your circles of influence, while staying committed to personal study. It doesn't have to be one or the other. You can do both, but we can come to the point, and I see it so often in the church world, where we spend so much time simply soaking up knowledge that we do absolutely nothing with but talk about how much knowledge we have with all the other people who have knowledge. It's just, it's just a, a, a battle of knowledge. I have, I know more than you. Oh yeah, well I know this about this. And we're really no good for the kingdom. Because we're not doing anything. We're just talking. You see, discipleship, and we love to talk about this, this divide between evangelism and discipleship in the church. You know that being a disciple is actually being a student and a follower of Jesus. It's looking at Jesus and what did Jesus do and then imitating that. Jesus was very, very, very focused on communicating hope to people who didn't know him. So, that's what we should do. Maybe it's busyness. You can't have a list of excuses without this simply making it to the list. And again, I want you to take a prayerful look at your schedule or your family's calendar and pay attention to how much time is spent on kingdom things in relation to how much time is spent on earthly things. It's simple. And don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that it's bad to spend time on earthly things. We all have human normal lives, and that's okay. But I think if we're honest, we would all agree that the ratio can be kind of out of balance from time to time. So is it busyness, or is fear keeping you from fulfilling this call? I mentioned this at the beginning of the sermon, that many kinds of fear can be at, be at play. Fear of ridicule, fear of not having all the answers to every question, fear of being a hypocrite. I hear that all the time. I actually know someone who won't share their faith because they're not living the right kind of life at work. They know that they're not reflecting Christ, and they know that it would be a joke for them to share their faith in front of those people or invite them to church based on their lifestyle. How honest but how sad that is. And if that's you, I would just encourage you this morning, don't just sit in that place. 
Don't stay there. If you have to make amends, and if you have wrongs to right, if you have some restoring conversations that need to happen with your coworkers, friends, or family, do it. Don't wait another day. And use that as an opportunity to share how Jesus has changed your life and how he's changed your story. Maybe you apologize for the poor example that you've been. And you declare that you have an intention to do better because Jesus has changed you. And you'll never be perfect. And words like that can go a really long way with people who don't know Jesus. And then start over with intention and prayer. They'll be watching, of course. And yes, you're going to be under a microscope. That's good. What an impact that could have on someone else to see the change that Christ makes in your life. I love what Paul says to the Corinthian people. He says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one, this person Jesus, has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, for, for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him who, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you're taking notes, write down 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21. And then go back and study that, and I want you to go to verse 19, and I want you to underline that phrase, entrusting to us. God entrusted to us the body of Christ, the message of reconciliation. The way that the gospel spreads, the way that the gospel makes a change in our world is when entrusted people with an important message take that message and they proclaim it to people who need to hear the message. We've been talking about this for three months now because it's one of the most important things that we will do while we walk on this planet. We are ambassadors. He says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. We are a part of his plan in reaching this world, in reaching people who are far from God. Our lives act as a representative for Christ, so commit to staying aware of that calling and being mindful of our walk. And we don't have to make this too difficult. Believers have to be bringers. What about the opportunities that we have right now? 
What about the opportunities that, that God has put right in front of you in this very moment, maybe in this very room right now? What are the opportunities he's gonna put in your way this week or this month? Who are you bringing to the Christmas Eve celebration? What better time of year, what better reason to bring someone with you than to celebrate the birth of our Savior? You see, people are much more likely to come and see around Christmas and Easter. And I believe these seasons are the easiest times to bring someone because people are looking for hope and looking for a true reason to celebrate. Who will you bring next Sunday at 10 a.m.? And the Sunday after that, will you invite your neighbor, the person next to you at work, your best friend from school, your spouse maybe, a parent, or maybe even your own child? I believe based on what we see in Scripture, and it has become abundantly clear to me in the last three months as I've been studying these, for these messages, that believers have to be bringers. We have to be. Often it starts with a simple invite. That's a part of my story. A single invite to come to church made all the difference in my family. And maybe that's your story as well. Maybe somebody who believed in the mission of Jesus and was living that mission out with how they lived their lives, maybe they stepped across the fear, the, the barrier of fear. Maybe they removed that obstacle of, of being angry about something going on in their own world or in the culture or whatever it may be, and they just decided to go for it. They just decided that I'm going to invite this person to come and see what I know to be true and what I know to be real and what I know to be life. That's what we see all throughout our New Testament. I want to preach next week's message right now, but I have to stop. I'm so fired up because I, I opened Acts again and it just, I, I went on a journey. But this is part of my story. And I know in the church world we tend to, we tend to, we get it, it's, it can get messy. I know it is. Like we gather together here to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, and, and we keep doing the same things over and over again. We want you to be out there doing the work of the ministry, and those things are important. But then we, the, the, the pendulum swings so far that way. Like, all we want to talk about is equipping and discipleship, and then we never do evangelism. And it's really hard to kind of stay in the middle. But if you're following Jesus, and you're, you're observing his example, and then you're imitating his heart, you can't be anywhere but right here in the middle. Because Jesus did both, and he did both really well. But Jesus was a bringer. Jesus was someone who built relationships with people. He shared hope with people, and he brought people to his Father. And that's how the church was built, by people bringing people to Jesus. We're not going to stop talking about it because it's that important. We build, we share, and we bring. And I'm not going to get into all the details of my family and their past, but my, my family was maybe like yours, 
They were the least likely group of people to ever darken the door of a church. But there was always that thing in my parents' heart that reminded them that they didn't have any hope. And thank God for a faithful disciple of Jesus who just gave a simple invite to come and see. I don't know where I would be today without that invite. And where would you be without that invite? Where would you be without Jesus? So, who are you bringing next week? I've been inviting, and I hope you are too, because believers have to be bringers. I want to invite you for just a moment to bow your head and just close your eyes just for just a moment, because I want to talk to another group of people for just a moment. And I don't want them to feel like they're being called out this morning and to feel awkward in this moment, but do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? For the Christian in the room, we know because the Spirit of God is living inside of us, He's changed us, He's made a difference in us. We know where we would be without Jesus, and we're so grateful this morning. We come and we gather together, we worship because Jesus has made a change in us. But there might be someone in the room today that you're here because your friend drug you here because your grandchildren were singing, or your niece or your nephew was singing this morning, or maybe it's your own child was singing this morning. Or maybe you just kind of stumbled in here this morning because you're just looking for some hope. We gather together to worship a risen Savior. And that risen Savior has a name, and his name is Jesus. And he came to this earth to die for the sins of this world. And that includes you. And so maybe this morning you come in here looking for hope and you're looking for hope because you are lost. You are separated from God. You are far from him. You don't know him. And you don't know his saving power in your life. You don't know that God created you to be in a relationship with him. And you don't know that your sin has separated you from him, that your rebellion against him has separated you from him. And you've tried everything. You've tried to live a good life. You've tried to be a good person. You've tried everything, but you still feel empty. You still feel hopeless this morning. And the reason why you still feel empty and hopeless and broken is because you can never do enough to feel hope. But Jesus, who we celebrate every Christmas, he came to us, and he lived among us, and he lived the life that you couldn't live, and he paid the price for your sin and for my sin and for the sins of this world, that we're all the same. And he died for that sin, but he rose again, victorious over sin, death, and the grave. He rose victorious over hopelessness and brokenness 
and he calls you this morning to repent, to confess, to turn from your sin and call on his name and be saved and to be given new life. And so if you're here this morning and you've never heard that message and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, you can do that right now. There's no magic prayer, there's no magic statement that you have to make this morning. It's if you believe, Jesus says, if you repent and believe the gospel, that's all that's required. So do you believe this morning that you are a sinner? And if your answer is yes, will you confess and repent and turn away from that sin? Will you ask God Will you ask Jesus to save you this morning? And you can simply just say, God, I am a sinner. And I believe that Jesus paid the price for the sins of the people of this world, of whom I am one. And this morning, I call on the name of Jesus to save me and give me new life. And then thank him for saving you. God actually makes it easy to come to him. The obstacles that stand in your way are your obstacles, but they're not the obstacles that come from Jesus. And so if you were here this morning and you made that decision to follow Jesus, we wanna know. You can go to our website and click contact us and let us know, or you can find me out here at the door or you can just stand up and, and yell, yeehaw, I don't care, but we want to know. We want to know that you've given your heart to Jesus this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for Jesus. During this season, during this time of year, we celebrate the birth of a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So God, I pray that we would be thankful for Jesus this time of the year. That for those of us who, who know Jesus as Savior, God, I pray that we, that we would be reminded of where we would be without him. And that he has set us free and given us new life and given us hope. God, I pray for that person in the room this morning that made the decision to follow Jesus. God, I pray that they would, they would talk to someone, that they would ask what the next step is in growing in their faith, and that they would continue to grow. Lord, I pray that we, as your people, that we would be building relationships and sharing the story and bringing others to come and see, that we would be bringing the gospel and sharing it with a lost and dying world. There's no greater message. There's no more important news to share. So God, may we be about your work. May we actually be your disciples. God, use us in ways that only you can. Lord, we thank you so much for saving us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.